0: Thank you for listening to CG Life with Steve Kortz. It's my hope that today's message will help you find and live the extraordinary life Jesus gives. After listening to this podcast, I'd like to invite you to connect with me on Facebook, LinkedIn, Twitter, and Instagram for more updates and resources. What is love? Huh. Ah. Love is an unconditional feeling for someone else. Love to me, it kind of brought because you had to love for uh, environment, for each other. Love to me is being able to grow and change with one another and never feeling judged. What is love? Love is an action whereby you demonstrate to another person that their happiness and welfare is more important than your own. Uh, When I think of love, I think of my family and the unconditional support and companionship and no matter what happens in the world, what we face, that we'll always be there for for one another. And um, that's the best kind of love. To me, love is accepting someone for exactly who they are. It is an ability to forgive. understand at a deeper level so for me the definition is jesus jesus is love what is love to you in some ways the answer we give to that question is the most important answer we will ever give to any question what do you think of when you think of love at its very best do you think of it as an unconditional feeling? Do you think of it as uh, the care you express for the planet, for others? Do you think of it as uh, your uh, letting others grow and change without feeling judged? Is love a demonstration of, uh, uh, of your care for another person? that puts their happiness, their well, well-being ahead of your own. Is love for you family? Is it the companionship that you have in tough times? Is it being there for someone else when they need you? Is love forgiveness? Is love for you Jesus? And if it is Jesus for you, then what does that mean? Just what can we expect from His love? All of these questions matter. All of these questions matter because love in the end is something that we need in life, something that we need for life. We need the kind of life that stick of love that sticks, the kind of love that stays, the kind of love that overcomes and outlasts the things that are overcoming us. In short, we all need a love Just what is that? And what can we expect from it when we have it? Today we want to find some answers to that question by turning to Ruth chapter 2 and looking together at verses 1 through 23. You'll find it on page 222 in the worship Bibles provided for you. Or underneath the chair in front of you or underneath the chair you're sitting in, if you're on a front row. I want you to see with me as we come to this passage that this passage is really the second act in, in this story of Ruth and God's work in the life of Ruth and Naomi. It yields a, a second vital insight into what love really is and what it involves. Ruth 1, as we saw last week, uh, teaches us that genuine love can be known by the capacity it has to stick and to stay. Ruth 2 shows us what love actually does as God works through the situation of a man man and two women, two women in particular who are in a, a very desperate set of circumstances. Now it's important for us to remember as we come back to Ruth that the Bible teaches us that God is himself love. The New Testament says in 1 John 4 that God is love. And when it says that, what it means is that God is the measure of genuine love. If you want to understand what love is, you've got to look at his character and his actions. And because God is love, those who belong to him have both the opportunity and the responsibility to give to others the same love they've received from him. Perhaps the best definition of love that we can take from the Scripture is that love, genuine love, as God lives it and defines it, is self-giving for the good or for the benefit of others. And so 1 John 4 also will say, in this is love, not that we love God, but that God first loved us and saved or get, gave His Son to be a propitiation for our sins. For God, John 3 says, so loved the world that He gave His only Son. Paul says in Galatians 2.20 that the life that He now lives in the flesh, He says, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and therefore gave Himself for me. The Bible tells us that uh, we are made, we are created to imitate this love First, by loving God with the love with which He loves us, turning it back to Him, but also by loving others. Indeed, uh, Jesus said that we're called, our greatest obligation is, is to love. Love the Lord your God with all of your heart, your soul, your mind, and your strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. All of this matters as we seek to answer the question, what is love at its best, and perhaps more importantly for us today, as we seek to answer the question, what can we expect from love when love is true? Critical question, really, because so many of us have a mixture of expectations when it comes to the love that God gives. We expect certain things from God, and when He doesn't deliver them, we often question His love. We we need to ask as well, what what, does, what, what can we expect or what can others expect from love when it is true and it's coming from us? What, what can my wife expect? What can my husband expect? What can my children expect? When, when I'm genuinely loving like God loves, using God as the standard, what, what should my love actually uh, deliver to them? What should they expect and what can I expect from others if and when they genuinely love me? All of these Important, important questions for us to pursue as we look at Ruth chapter 2. Now as we do today, what we discover are three answers to this question coming from Ruth 2. How love works is what we discover first, but then what true love brings and finally what true love reveals. And we find from this passage, we discover that we can expect love to work in a certain way. We can expect love when it is true to bring love certain uh, things into our lives, and we can expect love finally to reveal certain things to us when love is true. We're going to look at the first two today, and by God's grace we'll look at the third next Sunday. But let's look first of all at how true love works and what we can expect from love when it is working. We're in Ruth chapter 2, beginning at verse 1. The Scripture says, Now Naomi had a relative of her husband's, a worthy man, of the clan of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. And Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, let me go to the field and glean among the ears of grain after him in whose sight I will find favor. And she said to her, go, my daughter, go. So she set out and went and gleaned in the field after the reapers, and she happened to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz, who was part of the clan of Elimelech. She happened to come. She happened to come. Now, I want you to notice part two of the story of Ruth opens with the introduction of a new character, a man by the name of Boaz, a man who is described as a worthy man, which meant that he had, was a man of standing in the community. He was a man who had wealth, but he was also a worthy man in the sense that he was a man who had integrity. And we also receive then a picture of what it was like to be poor in Palestine, ancient Palestine. Here we have Ruth and Naomi, both of their husbands deceased, living uh, alone with no husband to provide and no husband to protect. And uh, so these lives come together in Ruth uh, chapter 2. Now, because of the immediate need that Ruth and Naomi have, Ruth asks permission, we find in these first three verses, to go and glean among the harvest fields, according to Old Testament law. There, every farmer was to leave the edges of his field Free not to touch them or to leave them unreaped. And also, as the reapers would come through and then the gleaners would come through, anything that they may have dropped or missed was not to be picked back up again, but it was to be left so that the poor, those who were unable to to find food for themselves, could glean from the edges and then follow the reapers and the gleaners as they worked picking up whatever they left behind. Now, what was true was that uh, not all the farmers in Israel liked this uh, set of guidelines from God, just like you probably have some of God's guidelines that you're not so particularly fond of. Any of you got a guideline you're not particularly fond of? Okay, I'm going to do to you what I did to the second service. How many of you would say, I love every single one of God's guidelines and I follow them all the time? Okay, now we're being honest. Now we're being honest. And now, how many of you would say there's at least one thing God said I should do that I don't like doing? Okay, we're, we're getting better. We're getting better. Um, but here is poor Ruth, and she's she's new to this region. She doesn't know anybody, she's flying blind, and And some of the farmers, they don't really want to follow what God has laid down as a guideline, as a a rule. So she knows, and this was true, that she could go to some fields and actually be accosted because she's trying to glean. That some farmers are not going to want her there and they're going to treat her pretty poorly. And so when she says, I'm I'm going to go, and I'm flying blind, I'm just kind of be, it'll be hit and miss for me, but I am going to go. She's going because she is in a desperate state, and she's going hoping that she will find somebody who will say, yes, I'm going to honor what God has said, you may come in. So that is what's taking place. And so verse 3 says, do you see it? She set out. And she happened to come, happened is the key word, she happened to come to a piece of land belonging to Boaz, who again we're told, was one of the clan of Elimelech. Now this opening is very, very significant for what it signals to us. The author's repeated statement, Boaz was from the clan of Elimelech, uh, is important alongside the statement that Ruth just happens to wind up in Boaz's field. All of these point strongly to the uh, fact that something more is going on in this story. Someone is involved in this story. What has happened is not mere chance. Her seemingly random choice of this particular field and getting permission involves someone else, and that someone else the uh, author is pointing to is God himself. God is in it all. The author doesn't want us to miss this. God is in it all. The God who loves Naomi and Ruth, the God that Naomi thought had failed her, thought had disappeared from her life, really hasn't disappeared at all. He always was, and he already is, at work in her life, working sometimes, yes, behind the scenes, but working nonetheless so that Ruth had an unexpected guide in her journey to go and reap. I uh, learned the, the reality of, of this way that God works, of God working in unexpected ways and unexpected circumstances. Uh, when Cheryl and I were young and I finished uh, at Wake Forest, we went to seminary in Louisville, Kentucky, and uh, I was thinking about this. My, I guess I could call this my Naomi experience or my Ruth experience, maybe it would be better. Uh, our Ruth experience, it's probably the first time I really had this sense of God working in the background, of God working in ways that I couldn't see, of God's love coming into and being all around my life, even though I couldn't necessarily see it or sense it. We had just moved to seminary, and uh, part of our responsibility as we moved there was to put food on the table. I had gotten some scholarships and so forth for seminary, but the rest was up to us. And uh, we found an apartment, and that was uh, a wonderful thing. Ladies, it was absolutely filled with cockroaches on the walls, on the floors. Cheryl cried the first time we walked in. Uh, I was really uh, going for husband of the year this year, and uh, that's how we started. When we got to, to, to Louisville, uh, I backed into a car. And uh, then we got to our new apartment. It was full of cockroaches. It was just, we could see God all over this. No, we couldn't. We, it's like, wait a minute. We've given up so much. We've sacrificed so much. What is this? Well, we, we both got jobs. I was doing some preaching. And she was doing house-sitting and babysitting. And we were doing everything we could do to make life work. But there came a day when I sat down and I remember I wrote my tithe check and then I wrote my check for our rent and I had no more money to write any more checks. We literally were out of checks. We had more checks than we had money. And at the same time, In our little teeny-tiny kitchen, along with the cockroaches, there was mustard, there was ketchup, there was water from the tap, and there was green beans. Now, some of you are amazing cooks, and you can do all kinds of things with all kinds of ingredients. Cheryl and I were young, and we hadn't figured out how you can make a delicious meal out of mustard, ketchup, water, and green beans. So we had green beans. Now I remember coming to this realization, things are not going well. And I thought, okay, now what do I do when things don't go well? I do what everybody does, I picked up the phone and I called my father. I said, Dad, uh, got a little problem here. Yeah, most of the cockro- cockroaches are gone. Not all, but they're gone, and yes, I'm still married. But, Dad, look, here's the thing. Uh, I'm out of money. I, I wrote my tithe for, the, for my check, Dad, and, and, I, and, and I, uh, I paid for, for rent, Dad, uh, but all we've got are green beans. Now, I was expecting my father to say, oh, that's awful, that's terrible, let me wire you. You know what he said? He said, Steve, I'll be praying for you. <laughs> I, I thought to myself, what? <laughs> Wait, hello? No, dad, no, 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 you're not understanding, you're not getting this, I, I don't want you to pray for me. I mean, I'm, I'm all for prayer, but right now, I don't need prayer. I need cash, money. I need for you to send me a check. I need for you to wire me some money. Now, Dad, green beans, ketchup, mustard, water, help. I couldn't believe it. I'll be praying for you, son. I asked him later why he did that. He said, "I wanted to be sure you knew how to stand on your own two feet." I just thought, "Good night. I'm, I, I wasn't standing on my feet. I was flat on my back. All I had was green beans. I needed somebody to pick me up." I will never forget Cheryl and I sitting down at that little table in that little apartment and trying to be the spiritual leader of my family. And praying over these green beans and being grateful. It was not easy. I gave up on the mustard and the ketchup. I didn't want that. There we were. So not knowing what else to do, I did what the only thing I could do, and that was I prayed and I Thank God for those beans, and I said, Lord help us, we've done everything we know to do. We ate our beans and that was it. I guess breakfast was gonna be mustard mixed with ketchup. <laughs> I, it was a downtime. I mean, it was really a downtime. God, why? What have we done? Why? What do we, how do we deserve this? I remember going the next day to the mailbox and pulling out the mail, and I got a little envelope, the address was from Winston-Salem, North Carolina, and the name on the envelope was a woman that I knew of, but I really didn't know. I knew of her, but I didn't know her. And uh, I opened up the letter, and the letter said, Dear C. I have no idea why I'm doing this, and I have no idea why. But your name is just been has just been put on my heart. So I don't know why I'm doing this, but I'm putting a check in with my letter. I don't know why you need it or how you could use it, but here it is. And she gave me a check. It gave us a check for seventy-five dollars it was like 75000 dollars i felt so rich in fact i don't think i've ever been richer than in that moment when suddenly but but do you know why it wasn't that i had the 75 dollars and that we could go to kroger and very carefully buy some things um I was rich because I caught a glimpse of God at work in our lives, a God who said that He wouldn't fail, a God who proved that He wouldn't fail. He let us get down to mustard and ketchup, but He didn't let us down. That was our first of several, what I would call, Ruth moments. And by the way, I did win husband of the year that year. No food, cockroaches, I was amazing. (laughs) And it's only by God's grace that we're still married. There are a couple of lessons, though. We, We human beings don't control events like we think we do. And God is not AWOL in the ways that we often think He is. The things that just happen to us don't just happen to happen. God does work in mysterious ways. He's at work even in the everyday, even in the mundane, the ordinary things, always to bring about good for us out of His love for us. He has a way of of, of taking even the ordinary so that He might bring to us His extraordinary good. His goal, of course, is ultimately to to relieve us in our needs and to restore us to Himself. He's always working to that end. He's always taking what's happening to use it for our good. He works to bring restoration ultimately to us in the future. He works to give relief to us in the present. And what He seeks to give us, it seems to me, and this has been proved time and time again in my In my uh, walk with Christ, and it certainly is is affirmed in the Scripture, that what God really gives us when He gives us His good, and what He works to give us in all kinds of circumstances and situations, in in the boazes that show up, in the harvest that just seem to be happening right when we need them, uh, in the letters that come in the mail when we don't expect them, that what God is doing... Is, is He's growing us in two ways. He, he's certainly growing us uh, in our dependence on Him for life. Because ultimately, the truth of the matter is, Boaz is right when he comes in to, to greet his workers and, and uh, he, he declares his dependence upon God even for that harvest. He's acknowledging everything I have comes from him, that life flows from him, that if I'm going to live... He's got to provide to me what I need. The other good that God gives us is He grows us in our faith and in our capacity to know Him. So He gives us and grows us in our dependence upon Him for life, but He also grows us in our dependence upon Him for light, for for the ability to know Him, to understand Him. To know Him as He really is, not as we want Him to be, not as we expect Him to be, but as He actually is. And and when God does us good, He's always bringing us something for life and something of light. He's always saying, I'm not going to fail you. I'm not going to let you down. And He's also always saying, and this is who I am. That happened. That's happened more than once for Cheryl and I as we've lived our lives and been through great times and and tragic times. Um, He's always been there. Now, sometimes we couldn't see him just like you. Sometimes he is working behind the scenes in ways that we can't spot, we can't spy, but what we found over the years as we walked with him is that he's, he's never not there. He's never not working. And we've learned to say we don't have to see him working in order to believe that he's working. If I have to see him to believe him, then I've got this hang-up Thomas has got. You remember Thomas. He said, I've got to see your scars so I can believe that you're really Jesus. Well, by God's grace, the more you walk and the more that he works... And the more that you catch him working and he shows up in your life, bringing you life and bringing you light, the less you fall into that trap. I don't see him, therefore he's not working. I don't see him, therefore he's not working. Ruth said, I don't know what I'm doing. I know nobody. I don't know where I'm going. I'm just going to go. I'm going to hope I find a field where somebody will show me favor. I'll pick that one. (laughs) Boaz's field. I pick that one. God says, yes, indeed you do. Yes, indeed you do. And Boaz says, I'm going to go visit my field today. And God says, yes, indeed you are. I got things for you to do, places for for you to be. You don't know it, but I know it. You think you know what you're doing, but I know what I'm after. God is always at work, and uh, when it comes to genuine love, then Ruth 2 shows us some things. First of all, it shows us that if we're followers of Christ, if if our faith is in Him, the God of the Bible, you can always expect the unexpected. You can expect, you can always expect God to be working through people, through events, through circumstances, through choices, good, through choices, bad. And through those unexpected people and choices that he sends into our lives, he teaches us that we don't have ultimate control, we do have involvement, we do have choices we can make, but God is ultimately working through everything to advance his love's great purposes for us. He he says, I have a plan, and I'm always working for it. Remember, I'm always working in you. I'm always working around you. And I'm always working for you. Now, when I say that, I want to pause before I move on because this is so very, very important. There is a teaching that is out and about that says that uh, God is for us. And what they mean by that is ultimately that God is all about us. God is for you. God is all about you. That when uh, God works, He's working in such a way to help you realize your maximum potential, to help you be all that you can be, all that kind of thing. I, I I want you to understand, I'm not teaching you that. I will never teach you that. God is for you. He's proven that he's for you in Christ Jesus. He is for you, but he is for you because he is for him and he is for his purpose in your life, in this world, in this universe. God is for redemption. God is for healing. God is for restoration. God is for relief. But God is not for Steve Kortz. He's not all about me. He's not all about me. He loves me. But let me tell you what God is really all about. God the Father is ultimately all about seeing His Son exalted. God the Father is really all about seeing His Son made preeminent over all things. That's what God is all about. You've got to be careful of those who will teach you that God is all about you. And He's all about your success. And He's all about you being everything He created you to be. He is, but He's not, all about you. He's all about His Son. You and I will never be the center of the universe. God doesn't want us to say three years old. Anybody got a three-year-old? Okay, we've got them. Are you all ready to give a testimony? (laughs) Never forget my Bethany one time. We were rolling out of Walmart. This is when we really got rich, and I got a full-time church, and I was making $125 a week. Man, that was big money. And I had an old broken-down parsonage where the wind blew through in those cold Kentucky winters. We were rich. But I'll never forget, we were, I was pushing her one day. and This was Brittany, I think. And um, we're going out of the store, and we heard this little girl, who's about three, going, I'm the leader, I'm the leader, shouting at her mother, I'm the leader, I'm the leader, I'm the leader. My daughter looked at me. She said, "Daddy, doesn't she know I'm the leader?" <laughs> I said, "Evidently not. We've got a bunch of leaders around here. Three years old. All of you got one years old, one year olds, and two year olds. It's coming. You, they're so sweet. Good night. It's coming." Just like you, just like me. We, we need to get past this three-year-old stuff. He's not about me. God's not about me. He's for me, but he's not about me. Does that make sense to you? When I know that God is for me, but he's not about me, it sets me free. Free of me. sets me free of me. Free of me to be free for him. And when I'm free for him, then I find the point and purpose of my life clearly. So God the Father is all about honoring his Son. God the Son is all about honoring his Father. One day, the Scripture says, Jesus will be made preeminent over all King of kings and Lord of lords, and then he will hand over everything that's been given to him back to the Father. Because he wants the Father to be glorified. Jesus, the Son, is all about the Father. The Father is all about the Son. And the Holy Spirit is all about the Father and the Son. God is for us. But he's not about us. So what we can expect from love that is true is that we can expect it to be always for us, but never about us. Always instead about him. What would your marriage be like if that was the love that was between the two of you? I'm for you, but I'm about him. What would your family be like if your family love uh, was unpacked that way? I'm for you. You can count on me, but I'm not about you. I'm all about him. What if Jesus came to be the center of your family? What if Jesus came to be the center of your marriage? What if Jesus came to be the center of your friendships? I'm for you, but I'm not all about you. Families, marriages, friendships would all be transformed. They'd be made extraordinary, wouldn't they? I'm for you. You can count on me. I'm just not all about you. Anybody here dating, don't raise your hand. The worst thing you can do is make your life all about that person. Be for them, but don't be all about them. You want to get that relationship, you want to keep that relationship on a good, firm foundation? Be for them, absolutely be for them. But don't ever make your life all about them. Now, what I would do if I were in the mood to do this, which I'm not. I'm nice today. I feel nice today. I don't know why, because like you, I've lost sleep, and so we're all struggling here, aren't we? But I won't ask you how many of you have actually learned that, uh, well, you know what? I'll just stop right there. Let's go on. <laughs> all right. <clears throat> so the lesson coming out of this is this. Watch for Him. Watch for Him. His uh, work and His love are always present in your life, even when you can't see Him, even when you can't sense Him. Watch for Him. Expect the unexpected work of God in your everyday life. He will not fail, listen, to be at work in your life because His love will not fail to be on your life. Look for Him. Look for Him especially when times are hard. But don't forget to look for Him when times are good. Why? Because the Scripture says, listen, every good and every perfect gift comes from Him. We have reason to bless Him when things are hard. We have reason to bless Him when things are good. We have reasons to bless Him because of the way true love works. Don't expect. Don't expect that because God loves you, you will never wind up with just a can of green beans. Are are you getting the lesson here? Sometimes we go, God, He doesn't exist. He doesn't love me. Because if He loved me, there'd be a stake A ribeye with these green beans, crisp colt salad and a loaded baked potato. (laughs) Am I connecting with anybody here? Am I making you hungry? Making myself hungry, we need to stop. All right. Let's let's look secondly, though, at what true love brings in verses 4 to 17. This is a long passage, but let's read it together so we can gather it up. And Behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem. What, What do you know? What do you know? And he said to the reapers, the Lord be with you. And they answered him, the Lord bless you. I'm dependent on him for this harvest. Then Boaz said to his young man who was in charge of the reapers, "'Whose young woman is this?' And the servant who was in charge of the reapers answered, "'She's the young Moabite woman who came back with Naomi from the country of Moab.' And she said, let me, "'Please let me glean and gather among the sheaves after the reapers.' And so she came, and she has continued from early morning until now, except for a very short rest. Then Boaz said to Ruth, "'Now listen, my daughter.' Don't go to glean in another field or leave this one. You keep close to my young women. Let your eyes be on the field that they are reaping, and go after them. Have I not charged the young men not to touch you? And when you're thirsty, go go to the vessels and drink what the young men have drawn. Then she fell on her face, bowing to the ground, and she said to him, Why have I found favor in your eyes that you should take notice of me since I'm a foreigner? But Boaz answered her, All that you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband has been fully told to me. And how you left your father and your mother and your native land and came to a people that you didn't know before. May the Lord, now he prays for her, May the Lord repay you for what you have done and a full reward be given to you by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. And then she said, I found favor in your eyes. What I needed has happened. For you have comforted me and spoken kindly to your servant, though I am not one of your servants. And at the mealtime, Boaz said to her, come here and eat some bread and dip your morsel in the wine and so she sat beside the reapers, and he passed to her roasted grain, and she ate until she was satisfied, and she had some left over. And when she rose to glean, Boaz instructed his young men, saying, Let her glean even among the sheaves, and do not reproach her. And also pull out some from some of the bundles for her, grain for her, and leave it for her to glean, and do not rebuke her. So she gleaned in the field until evening, And then she beat out what she had gleaned and it was about an ephah of barley. And she took it up and went into the city. Her mother-in-law saw what she had gleaned and she also brought out and gave her what food she had left over after being, and there's a key word in verse 18, after being satisfied. She left in the morning hungry. She came back in the evening full. Now here our story continues as Ruth has an undeserved encounter with an unknown friend. Boaz, the owner of the field, arrives on the scene. He knows who is who except for this one woman that he's never seen before. He asks his foreman who this is and the foreman gives her a strong recommendation. The foreman says, look, 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 she's, she is Naomi's daughter-in-law, part of your family. But secondly, she asked politely if she could glean. And thirdly, she is a hard worker. She's hardly stopped since she's been here. Boaz hears about her, all that, that the foreman says. She, he, he is amazed and he is surprised and he is impressed. Boaz then engages her and unexpectedly starts to help her. He urges her, stay in the field. He says to her, I'll give you protection. I won't let the young men bother you. You you have full access to all of the water that you can drink. In other words, look, look, look. I'm going to go well beyond the law. I'm going to do what God has said, but I'm going to go beyond that. When she asks why, he says, well, it is because of what you've done. I'm praying that God is going to repay you and reward you for what you've done, that God will generously restore to you all that you've lost, that he's going to make you complete again. That's my prayer for you because of your faithfulness to Naomi. That's what my God can do. That's the kind of thing my God does. He's the God who lets you take refuge under his wings when times are hard. Boaz doesn't stop there. He makes himself the generous answer to his own prayer. He invites her to lunch. She eats with the worker, something that was never done. Once done, he says to the servants, not only should you let her be in the field, but you go ahead and start dropping more than you should. I want you to work sloppy the rest of the afternoon. Work sloppy so she can scoop up more and more. So Ruth works all day long. By the time she's shaking everything out, by verse 17, she has an ephah of grain. Now, what in the world does that mean? Well, this is what it means. I'll tell you what it means. The average worker working for him that day would have gotten a pound or two pounds of grain for themselves to take home. When she got home, she had 50 pounds. <laughs> That's why Naomi's going, what? Because look, gleaning behind those uh, reapers and the other gleaners was hard work. It was hot work. And you didn't bring a lot back. Maybe a half pound if you had a good day. Ruth worked one day. She came back with 25 days worth of work in one day. What the... God of the Bible is showing us through Boaz is something of his character and something of his nature, something of the character and the nature of his love. He is a generous God whose love is constantly marked with an unexpected kindness. Look at Ruth, alienated, no doubt feeling hungry, emotionally anxious and spent, very much alone, watching her world fall apart. She's doing the only thing she knows to do, but she finds instead that God is there, that God cares, that he rules, that he provides Boaz unexpectedly appears in her life and generously gives her more nourishment, refreshment, security, and hope than she could ever imagine. And not only is he generous to her with the things of life, he's actually being generous to her with the things of light because she's catching a glimpse of the character of God in his character. God is always at work in and through and around events and circumstances for his people. And that means that he is especially at work with great kindness and great generosity for those who are his. You and I can't expect God to be at work, his love to be at work everywhere, all the time, in every season of our lives, because God is guiding not only our lives, but all of history toward his intended good. And this means that nothing is ordinary. Everything is extraordinary because God is going to be touching it one way or another. And even those things that we know to be extraordinary, the evil and the hard times that we experience, none of that Can or will keep his good and generous purposes from being accomplished for us? Now, I know that's hard to hear because here's the truth. Here's the reality. This is a tapestry. It's a finished tapestry, but it serves to illustrate what Ruth is learning. Her life, Naomi's life, just like your life. Not exactly what you expected, is it? Be honest. There's not a person in this room who says, Yep, exactly where I knew I'd be, with exactly what I knew I'd have. Of course, in this congregation, there might be a few that would raise their hands, huh? I'm a little leery of you today. But the truth about us is that none of us has the life we thought we'd have. When you start to look at your life you, 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 and try to figure it out and figure out why you don't have the life you thought you'd have, you, you begin to wonder and you begin to say to yourself, you know, why did God let all this random stuff happen and Why are these places of pain? Why did these places of pain come storming into my life? Why these tragedies? Why this heartbreak? Why this disappointment? What is all this? Where's the color? I thought my life would have color. I thought it would be brighter. this, This is not what I expected. I mean, I... I thought it would have a pattern to it. I thought my life would make sense. I mean, I, I can see a, a little bit of a pattern, but I, I don't see a lot of pattern here. I see a lot of random stuff that I can't explain. I don't get it. God, you're supposed to be weaving my life together. You're doing a really crummy job because that hurt. And I have no idea why you let that person into my life. And I'm still figuring out what in the world you were doing. There, there, and there. and Why my life is so bland. And I thought all the while you had created me for greater things. You see your life here? The Bible tells us that the the day is going to come when God will stop working on the tapestry of our lives. And yes, it will look kind of like this. It'll be a life out of which we can't make a lot of sense, a life for which we don't have a lot of explanations a life with pain and sorrow and heartache and joy and some wonderful memories, but a mix. The truth is, this is all we will ever see on this side. But the Scripture says there is coming a day When we will see our lives as God sees our lives, there will come a day when he will turn the tapestry. And what looks like a hodgepodge and a mess, a mysterious collection of events, will one day be revealed to us In such a way that every hard time, dark time, broken time finds its explanation. And we will stand back and do the only thing we can do. And that will be to say, Oh, my God, how much you loved me. How much you loved me. <laughs> I thought you had forgotten about me here. But you knew exactly what you are doing and why, how much you One of the great secrets of life is to learn what Ruth learned on this ordinary, extraordinary day. Is that God in Christ really does, really has, really will love you with a love that will not fail, that cannot be overcome, a love that can overcome everything that overcomes you. And when all is said and done, if you belong to him... When you stand before him, you will be amazed at the skill and at the beauty, the skill with which he wove your life and the beauty that he makes and made from it. Unfortunately, that's how we're going to have to live, by faith, until we get to the other side. Would you stand to your feet all across the room? Father, in this room today we have uh, men and women, students, boys and girls at every age and stage of life, some going through their own famine times, wondering what they can expect from you, wondering what they should expect from your love. Feeling reduced to few or no options, feeling abandoned, feeling left out, feeling left behind. Father, no doubt in this room there are people today who are right now stepping into a field defeated and wondering where you are. Father, how grateful we are that you are a God who works in such a way that you take our chances and our choices and you weave them together for our good, that into every Field, we step, you bring us boazes, you bring us barley. And if we're watching, if we're careful, if we're looking, the signs of your persistent love, your kind generosity, tokens of who you are, and pointers to all that you want to do in our lives. They're there. They're already there. If we would just stop to look and see. Father, I thank you that in your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, you have given to us one who loves us like no one else can love us, one who has taken our story of hunger and brokenness, and changed it into a new and a better story. So today, Lord, today, as we come to this close of the service, I pray, that for those who find themselves hungry and thirsty and feeling abandoned, that today they would find in your son, the ultimate Boaz, generous beyond all expectation, who gave his life on a cross so that we might be freed of our sin and guilt and granted new life and a new relationship with you, new light to see you, love you, enjoy you, and walk with you. And pray that today, Father, believers who have forgotten or missed this reality of who you are, how you work, and the kindness that you pour into our lives, that you would give them eyes to see it yet again, regardless of where they are and what they're facing. We pray and ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Let's sing together. We're, I'm going to invite our prayer team to come and take their places. If you'd like for someone to pray with you, we would love to pray with you. Ladies, we have uh, ladies to pray with you, men. We have men as well. If you're ready to give your life to Christ and to trust Him, I invite you to come. If you're a believer struggling in a time, a season of your life, and you'd like prayer, To be able to trust God till you can see the other side of the tapestry of your life, I invite you to come as together we sing this song. Thanks for joining me today. If you enjoy these podcasts, take a moment to rate and review CG Life with Steve Kortz. My prayer is that God will continue to inspire and challenge you in Christ as week by week we apply the gospel faith to real life.